Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Roots. But without further ado, I want to welcome our minister today, our speaker. I'm looking for him. Oh, there you go. You made me nervous, Ron. You made me nervous. I said I wasn't even ready. I wasn't ready. Uh, but I want to go ahead and introduce Ron Hogue. Uh, he has senior pastored for over 30 years. Um, when I think of people that I respect, people that inspire me, people like Ron come to mind, people that have been faithful people that have been consistent they've been in hard times they've been in good times but they just keep trucking through following the lord but ron um has been helping us with our missions you saw him in a video here a few weeks ago and uh, he's been really really helping us I-, I love pastor ron and right now guys help me give an oaks welcome for ron hogue he's bringing the word today it's gonna be awesome All right, man. good morning Good to see everybody. Uh, when Pastor Joel asked me to speak, this was back in June when he decided that he was uh, going to be able to go on a sabbatical. He he said, "Now, Ron, I want you to I want you to really think about what you're going to preach because he said, you know, this is your first time in front of the folks." And he said, "So here's what I want you to do." He said, "I want you to think about what would happen if you only had a few days to live." You had about a week to live, and you had one message that you could preach. If there's only one message that you could preach, it's your life message, it's the message that has all the power and passion and focus, he said, that's the message that I want you to preach. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Absolute pressure, I mean, unbelievable, of course, and I told my wife, uh, Jalen, I said, so what do you think about that? And she goes, that's, how do you do that? How how do you decide what the number one message is? And I thought, you know, that was a really nice thing for him to do, to sit there and say, hey, I want you to give, you know, your life message. And then I thought, maybe there's another angle to this thing. Maybe Pastor Joel was wanting me to give it my best effort, because if I screwed it up and I bombed, he would say, if I ever had him back to preach again, it's only downhill from there. So hopefully that's not what Pastor Joel was thinking, but I will say this, that there, there is a message that I want to share with you. I think it's an important message. Uh, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, and by the way, isn't it incredible what awesome, anointed, powerful teachers we have here at Oaks Church? I mean, Pastor Brandon was just phenomenal. Of course, every time Pastor Joel gets up here, it's just unbelievable. But I tell you what, these last two weeks with Pastor Brandon were just incredible. They were awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And what I would like to do today, I want to continue in the, in the vein of this whole thing of recognizing your value, because it has to do, at least today, with destiny. It has to do with your purpose. I've been in the ministry for a lot of years, and one of the things that I have noticed and listened to people when they talk to me is that they will say, I just want to make sure that I'm in the will of God. I don't want to miss God's best for my life. 
And there's a lot of angst, honestly, with people because they think, I'm assuming I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm hoping I'm where I'm supposed to be. I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but a lot of people just aren't 100% sure. And so they struggle with it because they don't want to miss the God-intended life. The life that God had ordained for them to live, they don't want to miss that. And I want us to talk about that today because I believe that there are so many people that are thinking about this whole thing of purpose. There was a book written back in 2002 by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read that book? Or how many of you have heard of that book? All right, that was an incredible book written back in 2002. Rick Warren was uh, the pastor of a mega church down in Southern California. And he made the decision to write this book. Of course, I, I know that he knew there'd be some measure of success because he had a megachurch. So he had a ready-made audience and all the other churches connected to his church. But he had no idea what would happen after he wrote that book. Because when he wrote that book, something just exploded throughout the earth to the point that Simon & Schuster, who are the publishers, just last year, 2020, they said that particular book, The Purpose Driven Life, has been published over 50 million times. 50 million copies. In fact, it's been translated into 85 languages. It is the most published nonfiction book in the history of humanity besides the Bible itself. I don't know about you, but when I reflect on that, that tells me that people want to know about purpose. People are very interested in knowing what his main question is. If you go and look at the book, the main question of the book is, uh, you know, why and what on earth am I here for? Why am I here? What is God wanting from me? Now, it's a great thing to go to heaven. That is a promise from God, and we're all looking forward to that. But what about right now? What is the Lord wanting from my life? So I want us to do this. I want us to start by looking at a verse out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is going to be out of the Amplified Version that I read this, and we're going to go from there to Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to turn to a verse, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 10 through 12 in just a second. But I want us to look at this verse out of Ephesians 2, verse 10 first. He says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, before we get away from that verse, I want you to, let's, let's keep the verse up there if you don't mind. I, I want you to look at some words. Notice what he says. He says, by the way, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. So 8 and 9 are salvation verses. 10 is a destiny verse. 10 is a purpose verse. So if you'll look at verse 10 again, here's what he says. You've been born again, recreated. He says there are good works 
which God predestined, that means he planned beforehand for you and me to live out and to perform. He says there are paths that he has already created for you to walk down. He says that he now has prearranged a life for you to live. He's made it all ready for you so now that you have purpose and you have destiny and calling. Now, if you look at all of those things that I just said, it's speaking of design, intentionality. God is very specific to everybody in this room. So if you want to talk about your value, if you want to say, what is my value? This is your value. When it comes to what God wants to do in and through you, he's wanting you to understand that when you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden it puts you on a path that he has already ordained for you to walk. There is purpose, there's design, there's destiny, there's intentionality for every one of us. Now it's gonna look different, it's gonna look very different, but what you have to understand is you are not an accident, you're not an afterthought, you're not someone that's just biding your time until he takes you home. He wants you to understand that he is the God of destiny, he and he has ordained you to live a particular life. Now, if you go over to Philippians chapter three, again, the Apostle Paul, he is in prison. He is chained to a Roman soldier six to eight hours a day. He doesn't know if he's gonna live or die. So as he's in prison, he's writing letters, he's praying, he's actually sharing the gospel with a lot of those guards. The Bible says that he actually led a number of those guards to faith in Jesus. So he's sitting there thinking about things of destiny, calling, purpose. What's my life all about? And I want you to notice what he says. This is out of the New International Version, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his, or, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now just park on that last statement. He says, man, I wanna know Jesus. I wanna know everything about him. I wanna know the fullness of the power of his resurrection. I know there's things about Jesus that I'll never know unless I suffer. He says, but I'm gonna press on. Now you gotta understand, he may die in days. He doesn't know. But he says, I need to take hold of everything that he had designed for me. In other words, what, when he took hold of me, there was something in his heart that he wanted me to take hold of. Now that little phrase, to take hold of, in the Greek language, it's a very specific word which means to apprehend. And so the image is of a police officer who's running after a suspect, grabs him by the collar so that he can actually take him into custody. So he, he now possesses that Criminal, in the same way he says, God reached out and apprehended you and me. God was running after us. God looks at us and he says, I'm gonna come and get you. And so he grabs us, he saves us, but now what Paul says, why? I know I'm going to heaven. What he's saying is, now I've got to run after, apprehend, hold on to the very purposes 
and all the design and destiny that God has ordained for me to live. So there's something in me that has to want the fullness of what God wants for me. And that's what he wants us to begin with. Because there's something that he wants us to understand. That there is an ordained part that he wants all of us to play. Do you believe that? There is an ordained part that he wants all of us to actually live out. The other side of that is he's going to give you the power, the grace, the capability, the resources, everything that you need to actually facilitate his will. He obligates himself to make sure that happens. Jesus told us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. What's the next part? On earth as it is where? In heaven. So what he's saying is there is a will in heaven that he wants to be realized on earth. For me and for you. This is an individual prayer. It can be a corporate prayer. But he says every single day when you pray, he says... You're going to give him praise, but what you're going to do, you're going to say, Father, may your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven has a scripted will. Heaven has an ordained will. Heaven has something that he needs you to do, that heaven needs you to do. He says, so you got to pray. May the will of heaven be done on earth today because there is a will to be done on earth today. So how does God do that? How does God facilitate that? Well, there is a principle that you need to understand of how God operates. I want to talk about that principle out of Psalm, Psalm 37, and we're going to look at a couple of verses, verses 23 and 24, because Psalm 37, 23, and 24, it unlocks the principle, and, and I could read you know, 10 or 15 verses that talk about this, but he says this, he says, the steps of a good man are ordained by the Lord... And he delights in his way, though he falls. Now, that word though can also be translated when he falls. So the Lord is expecting us to fall. He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, the principle that God uses to play out his destiny in our lives is the principle of steps. It's the principle of steps. That's why when you come to the scripture in the New Testament, what does he say? He says, I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. We are to walk in the spirit. We are to walk in love. John said we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Why did he use that terminology, walk? The writer of Hebrews says we are to run the race. The apostle Paul talked about that. He says, I've finished the race. I've fought the fight, the good fight. So the imagery of running and walking involves what? The multiplicity of steps. So when you come to the scripture, what God says, he says, I want you to understand how I use steps. Because every single step is a part of the full destiny that I have for your life. So I want us to talk about, quickly, four things concerning the steps of God. So once again, God has a principle God uses what? I'm asking you the question. Starts with an S. S-T-E. He uses what? Steps. steps. Say it out loud again. Steps. And that this is important. I don't want you to miss this. So four things about steps. Number one, 
with the steps of God, there is a destination. With every step, there is a destination. Number two, there are no shortcuts. Number three, there will be difficulty. Number four, God is our present help. Now, those are the four things about the steps, and let me explain this to you. A lot of times we have in our heart or we envision in our minds that we are supposed to go somewhere, do something, be something, and so we always think in terms of some distant destination. What God is wanting to, uh, to us to understand this morning is, is that every single step we take, that step is your destiny. That step is the destination because if you don't take that step and then take this step and then take this step, you will never end up being or doing what he's called you to be or do. That's why we have to understand the significance of, of the steps of God. Sometimes, and I know we don't want to hear this, but sometimes delay is the step. Sometimes God puts us someplace and he stops our progress because there are things that he wants to do. And by the way, most steps involve one of two things. They will either involve something that has to do with character or it'll have to do with calling. Sometimes those two things are wedded together. Sometimes if he doesn't take care of a maturity problem or a character issue, he can never get us to the place of the calling or the things that he wants us to be about, or the assignment that he wants us to fulfill. I promise you, Moses would have never thought he'd be on the backside of the Midian Desert for 40 years. He wouldn't have signed up for that. And yet that was a step. Boy, that was a long step. I mean, you, you talk about somebody that's in a place of delay, and of course he didn't even know the calling at the end of it. He tried to check out. He did not sign up. God says, I want you. He goes, you don't want me. Trust me, you don't want me. And the fact that Moses said, you don't want me, God says, fantastic, you're now ready. The fact that you don't want to be used means that you are able to be used. So sometimes we don't understand what God's doing, but I promise you, now, and this is what I love about the Lord, is that he is going to make sure that he gets his will accomplished through us as long as we are responding to whatever it is that he's asking of us. So there is a destination. There are no shortcuts. And how many times have people tried to take shortcuts with the will of God? Shortcuts with the maturing process. You can't do it. I wish you could. Because there are times whenever the Lord allows things to touch your life, you don't know why. He knows. It's a part of the step. Do you realize, we think of the, the Apostle Paul, this incredible man of God, chosen by Jesus out on the road to Damascus. He was appointed at that moment as an apostle to the Gentiles. But did he immediately get launched into that ministry? The answer is no. First, he had to get introduced to the apostles. Correct? Did they receive him well in their first meeting? Absolutely not. Didn't go well. So he goes to Tarsus, and now he's in Tarsus. Well, actually, before that, he's out in 
the Arabian Desert for three to three and a half years. You knew that, right? The fact that you're not shaking your head lets me know you may or may not know that. But the Apostle Paul spent three years in the desert. Then he spent some time in Tarsus before he actually was asked by Barnabas to go to Antioch to serve in the church at Antioch where he eventually was launched into his apostolic ministry. Step, 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 finally released into his calling. He couldn't take a shortcut. He couldn't go to the apostles and they didn't receive him and then he goes, you know what, I don't care. God's called me. Jesus, I got the personal visitation from Jesus. So I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to go out there and do my thing. He did not do that. You and I cannot try to circumvent the path that God has us on, even if that path does not make any sense to you or me. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense. I promise you, it doesn't make sense. There's no shortcuts. There will be difficulty. Every time you try or every time you are on the path of God, I mean, you see it all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, there's always resistance. There is always attack. And sometimes what you discover is that you trying to do God's will, sometimes you may do it your way, so there are mistakes. I make mistakes, you make mistakes. How many of you ever made a mistake? Just trying to do God's will, even. You said, man, I shouldn't have done that. I could have done that a whole lot differently. Believe me, I've got a long list of those. There will be difficulty, and sometimes people will be mean to you, sometimes people will betray you, sometimes people will reject you, people will not understand you. It's all a part of of the journey that you have with him. You think Jesus had any of those problems or issues? You think anybody misunderstood Jesus? Do you think he had any resistance, any personal attack, any abandonment, any betrayal, any of that stuff going on? Absolutely. So when you're stepping into what God has for your life, you just have to understand while you're on these steps, every step is a destination. There will be difficulty. There's no shortcuts, but he wants you to know that he's always there as a present help. And that's what he says in that passage in Psalm 37 that we just read a minute ago. I love that. He says, he's delighting in your way. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he says, and and even though he falls, do you realize that you can fall because of what somebody else does to you? What does it mean to fall? To fall means to stop your progress. So if you are moving into the will of God and you're doing everything correctly, somebody else can do something that actually sabotages or harms the next step that you take. No fault of yours, now you find yourself releasing resources, you are now losing time, now you find yourself in a place where you don't understand what the next step should be, not because of what you've done, but somebody else has done. He says, when you fall, Though you fall, in other words, when you're stopped. He says, don't worry about it because he says the Lord's got you by the hand. He's right there in the middle of that whole situation. Now, if I'm going to facilitate and live out the steps of God for my life, there's four foundations that are important. And that's why I love this. I love this verse. Before we get to the foundations, can I just read this one verse? Proverbs 20, 24. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. And then he says, I don't know if it's, it's on our notes or not. I don't think it is. 
But I want you to, if you might want to write this one down, he says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. And then he asks the question, how then can man understand his way? Don't you love that? He says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. He says, how then can we understand our way? Do you know why Solomon asked that question? Because there are so many times when we think we're right in the center of God's will and everything goes sideways and it's like, what in the heck's going on? How do I know what God's up to? It doesn't make any sense to me. If he's for me and he's behind what I'm doing, why is this touching my life? Why is this happening to me? Can anybody relate to what I just said? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would God, if he's trying to facilitate his will, allow that to touch my life? How then can man understand? Four foundations, very important foundations. If you're going to live the God-intended life, these are the foundations that all of us must live our lives from as we take the steps of God. Number one, we have to live life from the place of love. From the place of love. Let me explain to you why that's important. Because whether we realize it or not, there are times whenever we begin wondering, God, are you really for me? Are you really with me? Are you really going to back me up whenever I step into this situation in my life? Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. You can never do anything that will cause your heavenly Father to love you more. You can never do anything that will cause your heavenly father to love you more. Whenever Jesus was water baptized, all of a sudden, the spirit of God descended like a dove on top of Jesus. The voice of the father shouted out, this is my beloved son. He didn't say this is my son. He said, this is my loved son. In whom I am what? Well pleased. Now, wait a minute, God. Jesus hasn't healed anybody yet. He hasn't preached one sermon on the kingdom. Nobody's come out of a tomb. No lepers have been healed. No lame men get their legs back. He hasn't multiplied loaves and fish. No storms have been stilled. In fact, by the time the Father spoke that over the Son, not one thing had ever happened in the life of Jesus as far as his public ministry goes. And yet he said, wow, this is my loved Son. I'm so pleased with him. You see, the Father's love is not based upon performance. The Father's love for you and me is based upon adoption. Because we have the spirit of adoption inside of us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us completely. Has absolutely nothing to do with our performance. You and I can mess it up terribly. You and I can actually check out. You and I can be off in the far country like the prodigal. And yet who's on the road waiting to embrace us? The father. Now the reason why that's important is because I don't have to do anything for him to love me more. I want to do everything so I can show my love to him. And that's the difference. And people that are trying to earn the pleasure of God, people that are trying to earn the acceptance of God are operating out of an orphan spirit instead of the spirit of adoption. 
And that's why it's critical for us to always understand that I live my life from the basis of the absolute acceptance of God. 100%. Even when I mess it up, His grace is greater than my sin. And He is still the God who is for me and not against me. That's the promise of God for all of us in this room. Live from the place of love. Secondly, he wants us to live life from the place of rest. From the place of rest. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is he doesn't want you to get uptight. He doesn't want you to have angst. He doesn't want you to wonder whether you are going to be able to discover his will. If it says God's ordered your steps, if like Proverbs says in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that if you trust him with all of your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding, if you acknowledge him in all of your ways, he promises to direct your path. That's the promise of the Father. Now, what does that mean for me and you? What it means is, is that God will speak in a language that you will understand. What it means is that God will not let you miss his perfect will for you right now. If there is a step that you need to take, he's going to make sure that you have all the information and all the confirmation that you need in order to take that step. But you have to desire it, just like Paul. You have to go take hold of it. You have to invite it, like Jesus said. You've got to pray for it. But you don't ever have to worry that God is going to play hide-and-seek with you. And what I have discovered is that so many Christians are wondering. It's like, you know, I think this is God's will. I don't know. He just doesn't seem to be real clear. Let me tell you something. You go with whatever the best is. Whatever you sense. How many of you have ever felt a prompting from God and you just went with it? Do you think God works off promptings? He does. It wasn't a trick question. He does. He goes off promptings. I think God goes off invitations. Do you realize that I would not be standing up here today had I not received an invitation? Pastor Lewis wouldn't be leading us in worship had he not received an invitation. The Apostle Paul would have never been launched in his public apostolic ministry had he not had an invitation from Barnabas. It's a long list. How many of you have ever been invited to go on a mission trip and God changed your life on the mission trip? Anybody in the room? Or they asked you to be a part of a small group, or they asked you to serve in this ministry area, and when you did it, your life was different. You say, wow, I'm so glad that they asked me. So when it comes to us living from the place of rest, what God is wanting you to understand is whatever you need to do his will and to know what steps you are to take, he's going to make sure you have that. You don't have to worry about it. Moses needed a burning bush. The Virgin Mary needed a visitation from Gabriel the angel. Paul needed a blinding light out on the road to Damascus. I'm telling you, if you need any of that stuff, he'll give it to you. He's not going to let you miss his will. And he wants you to have the absolute confidence that he's a good father who's got an incredible life that we've already read, prearranged, ordained, scripted out, the will of heaven, bring it to earth. He's that kind of a God that's going to ordain your steps and make sure you don't miss those steps. 
as long as you're responding every time he speaks to your heart. He also wants us to live from the place of faith. From the place of faith. And let me explain to you what I mean by living from the place of faith. Whenever we respond to God or to whatever we feel he is asking of us, he may or may not let us see the fruit of that step. When we walk by faith, we give up the right to have sight. Which means that whenever I respond to God in obedience, very small things, very big things, it doesn't make any difference, I have no right to the outcome. Living from the place of faith is letting God own all outcomes. If he tells me to pray for somebody who is sick, I'm going to pray for somebody who is sick, and trust me, I want to see them healed. But the outcome is his job. It is my job to step into it by faith, so it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an act of giving, an act of service, praying for someone, it makes no difference, whatever it is. How many of you have ever done something that God has led you to do, and it didn't make any sense to you because you didn't see an outcome or the fruit that you thought it would have? It's just, it just confusing, confusing to you. Anybody in the room? Say, what was that all about? Man, I thought God was in that, and yet I did this, and it did not have the result that I thought it was going to have. Living from the place of faith is saying, Lord, all outcomes are on you. I pastored, my wife and I pastored down in uh, Euless, Texas uh, at Restoration Church for a number of years. And um, before that, we planted a church in Southern California. And we were there for 14 plus years. And it was a Saturday. I was getting ready for Sunday at the church in Euless. I was in the sanctuary by myself, praying, just preparing my heart for the next day. My phone rings, and it's my secretary, and she says, Ron, there's somebody here to see you. And I said, well, you know what day it is. You know what I'm doing. And she goes, well, I know, but they, they say they really got to talk to you. Now, you got to understand, when, when people in the church say they really got to talk to the pastor... Let me just say that it can turn into a three-hour situation. And so there was something in me that was kind of, I said, well, can't you just tell him, you know, make an appointment or come back next week? She goes, no, you don't understand. This guy's not from here. He's from California. In fact, he said that he's from the church that you pastored in California, and he really, the Lord has told him that he needs to speak to you. So what are you going to do with that? So I said, all right, I'll, I'll go out. So I went outside. Sure enough, he was walking up and down the sidewalk, and I went up, and uh, we embraced, and he said, how are you doing? And we're talking to each other. And I was kind of thrown off because he was wearing a Salvation Army uh, soldier's uniform or officer uniform. And I knew this guy. He was a businessman. So I, I had no idea what was going on. And he said, Ron, I'm not going to take your time. I know what you're doing. He said, I just, I just feel like you need to know something. He said, several years ago... He said, on a Sunday morning, I was struggling, and I went forward for prayer. I asked you to pray for me. You prayed for me, and he said, when you prayed for me, something broke off of me, and he said, and then when you finished the prayer, he said, you looked at me, and you made one statement. 
You just, you just made one statement, and he said, that one statement changed the course of my life. He said, because I was struggling because I felt like God told me that he wanted me to serve the least of these, and I didn't know how to do that. I mean, I was a, had my own business. I mean, I just didn't know how to do that. And he said, but when you spoke that word to me, of course, I didn't know anything. He said, the Lord showed me what I was to do. He said, the only organization that I knew that actually focused on the least of these was the Salvation Army. So I went to them the next week. He said, I asked them, could I register in your training academy because I'd like to become, you know, one of the people that serve full time. And they said, absolutely. He said, I left my job. I went through their training. He said, they ordained me into the ministry and he says they put me in as the head over what, the, I think they call them cores, which is like our version of church. And he said, all of a sudden, God opened all these doors and I rose in the ranks. And he says, now I am a divisional commander for the Salvation Army. I'm over all these other groups and I literally orchestrate the meeting of needs of thousands upon thousands of people that are the least of these. And he said, that would have never happened had you not taken the time to pray for me and just speak that word. Of course, I didn't remember any of it. I don't remember the prayer. I don't remember the day. I don't remember the word. I don't remember any of it. And the reason I'm sharing that with you, God was gracious to me to let me see the outcome. And how many times do you know that most of the time we don't get the benefit of seeing the outcome? And we get frustrated because we think we've missed God. Well, I thought I was in the will of God, but man, that didn't go the way I thought it would. Hey, you don't know how it went. Because God takes it, and sometimes he does something with it, and it may take him some time, just like a seed. It takes time for him to do something with the things that we do. But he says, if you live your life from the place of faith, it doesn't make any difference. Because you give your right up to have sight. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then the last thing is that he wants you to live your life from the place of redemption. And what I mean by that is this. Boy, this is, this is very important. How many of you personally or someone that you know was on a path that you know was God's will and then something happened that just blew it up? Unfaithful spouse, pandemic hits. <laughs> I mean, it can be any number of 20 things. Somebody in your business takes money and, you know, a bad business partner, bad business deal. It can be a lot of stuff. My point is this. Things happen that we have no control over, and sometimes even things happen that we do have control over. In other words, we make mistakes that we shouldn't have made, or we make decisions that we thought were the right decision, and we look back and go, that was probably the wrong decision. And what God wants you to understand is that you're not trapped, you're not cursed, your destiny is now not destroyed, but God in His grace is a God who wants you to know this morning that He is the God of redemption. That nobody is so far gone, nobody has done something so terrible, it does not make any difference what's touched your life. 
He wants you to know that he's still the God of redemption. Do you realize that one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, this is in Joshua in the Old Testament, and and, and I love this, uh, you, you realize that when Joshua messed up and entered into a covenant with a paganite tribe, the Gibeonites, you know the story. Joshua is trying to, you know, come against all the pagan tribes in Canaan, and he's deceived with this one tribe, the Gibeonites. He enters into a covenant with them. They get attacked by five other Canaanite tribes. So, because of the covenant of peace, here you have Joshua having to fight for the enemy that God told him to destroy. So they're getting some headway in the battle, but they don't have enough time. So Joshua asks God, he says, Lord, would you please cause the sun to stand still so that we can finish the job? And God honored the prayer. And for the first time ever in the history of creation, the sun stood still. It did not move for 24 hours so that Joshua and his army could destroy the armies of these five kings. Greatest miracle that we have apart from the resurrection probably was a response to a mistake. Can I just share one story with you? Is that okay? Um, I think this will encourage you. Let me show you this book. My Utmost for His Highest. How many of you have ever heard of this book, My Utmost for His Highest? It's a devotional book. It's the most popular devotional book of all time, and I want you to to understand something about this. It was written by Oswald Oswald Chambers, who was a Bible teacher uh, at the turn of the 20th century. Just to kind of give you a, a quick summation of his life, very obscure guy, loved God, started teaching in a Bible school outside of London in 1911. Married a lady by the name of Gertrude Hobbs. Now, I don't know the full story of this, but he never called her Gertrude. He liked to call her beloved disciple. So he didn't say, hey, Gertrude. He called her, hey, beloved disciple. He shortened that to BD. Hey, BD. That got elongated into the name Biddy. So for her entire life, Gertrude was called Biddy. Now this is important because whenever Oswald would teach in this college, and by the way, this was not some big fancy college. He only had 25 resident students. That's all. Listen to this account. During Oswald's lectures, Biddy sat at the back of the room recording his words verbatim in her precise Pittman's shorthand. Trained as a court stenographer, she could take dictation rapidly while remaining engaged with her husband's purpose as he taught. Biddy's storehouse of notes grew as Oswald taught biblical psychology, studies in English or, or Genesis, biblical ethics, and a host of other classes. Of special significance were her records of the sermon class, the weekly devotional hour when Oswald spoke to the residential students from his heart. Now this went on for several years until World War I broke out. The school had to be shut down. 
through the YMCA, they ended up traveling to Cairo, Egypt, where they started ministering to the soldiers. This went on for another three years until 1917. November 1917, Oswald Chambers had a burst appendix. They did emergency surgery, complications ensued, and at the age of 43, he died. So you have Biddy Chambers with their daughter, Kathleen. In this foreign country, in a time of war, widowed, her husband, whom she served, now gone, and she doesn't know what to do with her life. This was in November when this happens, and so she makes the decision to take one of the sermons that he preached. She had it transcribed in her shorthand notes, and she printed it out, and she sent it to several hundred soldiers as a, a word of encouragement at Christmas, the very next month. So many people responded to her immediately that it changed their life that the YMCA came to Biddy and said, would you do this every month? Would you just take a sermon or something that he's taught and would you put it into this letter and we'll send it out to the troops? That mailing increased to 10,000 soldiers. It was so incredible that she began to realize that there was something going on and that all of those hours of her sitting in the classes and the lectures and the chapels taking all of these notes that God was now assigning her the responsibility of getting this information to the world. So in 1927, she put a compilation of 365 of his writings that she heard speak. She put them into a devotional book, took it to a publisher. She was totally renounced. They said, no way, we're not going to risk it. So she raised the money with some of her friends. They printed this. It was sold out almost in a matter of days. They had to keep reprinting, 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 reprinting to the point that now over 15 million copies of this have been printed. It's been used all over the world, changed countless lives. Not only that, but by the time she died in 1966, she had published 29 books that are titled by her husband, written by her husband. No one knows that those 29 books were actually Biddy Chambers who took his notes that she had transcribed, put them into volumes, had them printed, and sent them into the world. The reason I'm sharing this story is there is nothing more tragic, nothing more harsh, nothing more difficult than the death, death of a loved one. And yet what she shows us here she is, a hidden person in the midst of a foreign country, in the midst of tragedy, and God proved himself to be a redeemer. You see, there is something that God wants to do in people's lives this morning. You know what I see when I look out over this crowd? One word, potential. Divine potential. Because God says to me in my heart, He says, some of these folks don't realize. They don't see their value. They don't, they don't see their worth. Or they have minimized the part that I have asked them to play. Or they've been faithful with the little and they haven't seen the fruit and so they get discouraged. Or they've been put into a place of waiting, 
a place where they're now having to trust that God is still working because they don't see anything going on? How many of you feel, God, what, what are you doing with my life? I feel like you've put me in this holding pattern, and yet I don't see any progress. I don't see what you're doing in me. And what he's saying to you is this. If you will live your life from the place of love, if you will live your life from the place of rest, trust me, if you'll live your life from the place of faith, you let me be a redeemer for you. You will never miss the life that I intended you to live. Do you believe that? See, some of you have painted yourself into a spiritual corner. Some of you have put God in a box. Some of you have just counted yourself out and disqualified yourself for whatever reason. And the Lord is saying, don't you disqualify yourself. Don't you do that. No man, no mistake, no pandemic, no betrayal, no abandonment, nothing will hold captive the destiny of God that he has for your life. Absolutely nothing. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stand with me. The Lord wants a lot of people to get this today. Because I promise you, some of you have been waiting to hear the okay from God to move on. And what he's wanting you to know is that he is still the good father who's for you. And if you've said some things to him that you probably shouldn't say, well, I tried listening to him and it didn't work and so I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. Guys, get back to the prayer that says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in me. Lord, would you speak to my life in a way that I can understand, that I can know. And Lord, let me believe again that you're a God of redemption, that you can redeem anything that's touched my life. And Lord, please, please give me the grace to let you own the outcomes. I want you to bow your heads. Just bow your head before the Lord. And I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you would say to me, Ron, I am trusting. I need to trust again that God will use me because I've been struggling to believe that he can actually use me. Or I've always celebrated how he's used everybody around me. But I've never felt much that I've been used of the Lord myself, and I need to know that he can use me. And so I today want to make myself available to the Lord again. I want to say to him, Lord, please, no matter what's touched my life, no matter where I am, Lord, I just want you to fulfill the will of heaven on earth in me. And I surrender my life, my pain, my path, what's touched me, what's been allowed to touch me, what's been taken from me. I release it into your hands so that I can actually live out 
the steps that you've ordained for me. And if that's you in this room, I want you just to lift your hand because I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand up? Lift your hand up and keep it up because I want to pray for you. There's hands all over this room that are up. Just lift them up. Lift them up. Keep them up. Just keep them up. If anybody is around you, just keep those hands up. And you know this individual. You care about this individual. If anyone wants to just put a hand on them while I pray, feel the freedom to do that. You just look around you. If you see somebody that you love, that you care about, be, be willing to go and just touch them. We're going to pray. Father God in heaven, I want to thank you that you're the God of all grace. I want to thank you that you are the God who knows the end from the beginning. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the end, that you know everything there is to know about our lives. Your word says that you know the number of days that we will live before we see even one of them. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that every person that has their hand up what it is, it is a cry to live out the destiny of heaven. And Lord, you know every situation, every circumstance, every unique part of these individuals. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to adjust whatever needs to be adjusted in how they think. Would you bring to life again their relationship with you? And Father, right now, we release into your hands outcomes. We release into your hands everything that you have allowed to touch us. And we declare with our mouths that nothing will hold you captive, but you are the God of all freedom. And you are the God that brings all the resources of heaven to bear upon the purposes of your will on earth. And we receive that in Jesus' name. Lord, we declare that Satan and every work of darkness will not succeed. And that you are the God who has the power and the ability to finish what you start in us. And we bless you for that and we praise you for that. Lord, some people need to release the pain of the heart because they've had tremendous disappointment. There's this thing where hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there are some hearts in this room that are sick because hope has been shattered or delayed or injured by things that have touched your life. And Lord, I ask you right now in Jesus' name, would you heal the broken heart in this room? And may people feel faith arise again. May they feel the sense of the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the authority of God, the blessing of God, and the capacity of God to do what you desire and what you've scripted, what you've ordained in all of our lives. We bless you for that. Lord, we release the blessing of your spirit into this room. Lord, we ask that the destiny of Oaks Church be realized that whatever it is that you have ordained in heaven, may it be done on earth and show us the part that we are to play. And may it all bring great pleasure and glory to you, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.